I suspect that jogging might be wicked. <laughs> Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. Is that not exactly what jogging is? I've jogged before, I confess. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why do the wicked flee when no one is pursuing? Why have, why have a guilty conscience and be paranoid? It's because you know that you've done something wicked at some point. I'll be honest. Every single time a police officer pulls up behind me, it doesn't matter if I'm going well under the speed limit, I grip the living snot out of my steering wheel. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We're going to cover Proverbs that tell us how to find our voice. Right, 99% of our sermons at Highlands are expository in nature. This is going to feel more topical, but really it's just from Proverbs. I'm going to, it's, a, it's a textual survey style sermon. We've seen how all of these areas of wisdom are interconnected. We've seen how if you fail to thrive in your relationships, you're going to fail to thrive in your marriage, you fail to thrive in your marriage, you're going to fail to thrive in your finances. All of these are symptoms of a lack of wisdom, and wisdom is the theme of the whole of the book of Proverbs. And this particular wisdom theme is how to find your voice. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, this has implications beyond just what you say or write. This has to do with physical action as well. But the majority of us will apply this in terms of our speech and our written word. The righteous are as bold as a lion. It's convicting, right? I wonder how many of you Christians, you've been, you've been quiet. You haven't been lions, you've been kittens, afraid of offending anybody, afraid to come out as a Christian, hoarding the gospel that could save the souls of the people who surround you. But you're cowering in the midst of the virtue signaling mob, afraid to come out with the truth, the actual one thing that could solve and will solve ultimately the cause du jour. I want to speak to you. I want you to, I want you to come forward. I want you to speak up. I want you to let the gospel come out. Be bold as a lion. And some of you, some of you, you've been bold as a lion for a long time. You've been speaking the truth for a long time. You're just getting weary. You're getting tired of it. Not only from, not only in the, what you deal with from people who are hostile to the gospel, but also, I know this is the worst part about that. The majority of the arrows that are stuck in you are in your back. They're from other Christians who are cowards or who don't hold truly to the word of God and they resent you for doing it. I know what that's like. I want you to press on. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Some of us need to regain our boldness and some of us need to gain it for the first time. But my skeptical friend, you're gonna find this very practically useful, okay? As I survey these proverbs that influence how we speak and when we don't speak even, you're gonna, you're gonna find lots of good tidbits that you could write down and it's gonna be good advice. It's gonna be exactly right, but I don't want you to miss I don't want you to miss how this opens, that the righteous are as bold as a lion. I don't want you to forget how this whole book began in Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
Don't just take the knowledge and the advice and abandon the Lord who's offering it. That would be foolish. It would also make you, would make you a bit of an imposter because this teaching is that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Can you, without having actually confessed sin to God, claim any kind of righteousness on your own? I don't claim any righteousness on my own, and I'm a Christian. Would you consider what happens if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. According to Romans 10, 9, you will be saved. Then, then you'll understand the righteousness that this text is talking about. Here in the New Testament era, that's righteousness, faith in Jesus Christ. You're transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. Your sins are atoned for. You're filled with God's spirit and you're enlisted in God's mission. And so you are bold as a lion. How does the lion speak? Well, the lion doesn't attack straw men, doesn't pick fights with imaginary causes or try to appear heroic by solving imaginary problems. The lion is not afraid to take arrows. If there is nothing controversial about what you're saying, why are you talking? If there are zero people who would disagree with you, why speak? The lion is unafraid to say something that is controversial and take arrows as a result. The lion doesn't mitigate statements to make them more palatable by saying, I believe, or I think, obviously you believe this. Obviously you think this is false piety that would cause you to add these meaningless words. We'll talk more about that later. The lion does not imply things, just speaks with candor. The lion does not roar passively. The lion does not roar passively, aggressively, pretending, faking like you're either indifferent or uninformed or even the victim yourself while you actually show, you shoot out arrows at others, you set traps for them. None of that. No, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And when you're speaking from limited certainty, you acknowledge, you acknowledge all of the facts that would come against the point you're making. And when you're missing information, you acknowledge all of the information that's missing. And then you say, what the other side of the discussion would say in a way that they agree with it. You make only the statements that you can and then you stop speaking. And for this reason, you can be bold. You don't apologize. The lion does not apologize before speaking. Christian, you are a child of God who is filled with the spirit of God. You are made in the image of God. You do not have to apologize for the sound of your voice because you speak with the breath of life. You speak, you be heard. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You don't need to preemptively a priori weaken and fracture everything you have to say by apologizing for having spoken at all. Because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your heart, the nonverbals and the eye contact and the audible nature of your voice, they just come naturally because the righteous are as bold as a lion. They need not be contrived. They just happen because you know who you are in Christ. You know that your sin is atoned for. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous do not cower behind online anonymity. Anonymity does not guarantee integrity. In fact, it just evades accountability and encourages outright satanic lies. Okay, instead, 
put your name on it, put your face by it, and you stand by it. And if you're unwilling to do that, don't write it. Remember, the, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. If you have to flee before you even hit enter, it's likely that what you're doing is wickedness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. If this strikes you as somebody who just lacks grace, then you're mistaking grace for dishonesty. Obviously, all of this fully coincides with and ought to be presented in a way that likewise is loving. You don't have to choose between being honest and clear and loving. Be as bold as a lion. You speak with candor. You don't speak at all. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. It's time, Christian, to speak up. Speak up. Literally translated from the Hebrew, this means open your mouth. For those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus and justice. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. I know that it's comfy in that foxhole. I know that it's easier when you're not taking arrows. I know that it's intimidating and daunting. I know that you see other Christians facing scrutiny for just holding to a basic gospel understanding, but you must speak up. You are the one who's been entrusted with the hope. You're the one who's been commissioned by your Savior, Christian. The righteous are as bold as a lion. It's time to speak up. Let the gospel hope ring out and bring the spiritually dead to life. Let's begin by talking about the timing of your voice. Proverbs 18, 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. Begin by listening. Begin by listening and listen and listen really well. When you're speaking with somebody, try to make the person who's speaking to you feel like the most important person in the world. Because you know, when you look at somebody else, you're looking at the image of God, right? They're made in the image of God. Do you see the reflection? of their creator, of your creator in them. You know where they got that breath from, right? That is the breath of life from the living God. We've inherited it across every generation. It's a precious thing to hear somebody else speak. So you listen, try to make them feel like the most important person in the world. And you listen well and you scrutinize well, not to be deceived. Okay, Christian, every time you Every time you spout out a conspiracy theory, you rob yourself of credibility and you make it less likely that others will actually hear the gospel from you. And when you listen, you also be unflappable, be unshakable. Right? Make it, it should be pretty difficult to offend you. You listen and you also don't just wait for your turn to get your words out. Have you ever seen this before? Or have you ever felt the same compulsion yourself? When you already know exactly where this next person is going with what they're going to say, and you just have this response built up and you're just waiting for them to be done talking so you can say what you got to say, that's not good listening. Listen. Give, the, the, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. Consider also a series of Proverbs that speak to the timing of your voice, when not to speak. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Sometimes, sometimes that wisdom in your speech comes out when you don't speak. Proverbs 21, 23, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. 
I know that it can seem therapeutic at times. You, you just want to vent. Hey, can I just vent on you? Can, I, can we just, I, I just got to call you and vent for a second. Apparently this is foolishness. The fool gives full vent or full vent, get it, <laughs> to his anger. Think about this. When you give full vent to your anger in a way that other people hear, other people see, and you wreak havoc because you're over-exaggerating the emotion behind the pain. And you don't really mean what you're saying. You're going to regret it later and you can't take it back. Apparently it is foolishness to give full vent to your anger. It is wise to hold that in check. Okay, vent your anger through your hiking boots up the trail on Tiger Mountain. Vent your anger through the drumsticks on the drum set in the basement. Vent your anger on the punching bag that's in the garage. Not on the people who are around you who bear the image of God. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Giving full vent to your anger then on the internet, Christian, is the worst imaginable place to do that. Your voice is for the gospel, so you preserve it for that time. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, gives us a really interesting dichotomy. And it's going to help us find our voice because there are some ways in which we use our voice speaking from the knowledge that the Word of God is the absolute truth and that there are some people who don't believe it yet. And then we use our voice in such a way that demonstrates to somebody else the foolishness of their own presuppositions and invites them into the Word of God. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. And find your voice in one of these two ways. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Jesse, how can this be? Like verses four and five say like diametrically opposed things. So what's the deal? There are occasions in which you employ verse four and there are occasions in which you employ verse five. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness. Meaning do not let the person who is demanding an answer from you regarding your faith and is doing so from a place that disavows the wisdom of God, right? Remember the word fool throughout Proverbs and Psalms refers to somebody with a spiritual condition, somebody who has disavowed the knowledge of God, disavowed the wisdom of God, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom or discipline. You do not answer a fool according to his foolishness. You do not let the fool set up the debate stage with a giant trap door under your platform, okay? Now, you don't let the fool establish ground rules that he or she has no authority to set. Don't answer the fool according to that foolishness. Don't answer the fool on his own turf because that turf is actually lava. Don't answer the fool according to the terms that they set because the terms are gonna be impossible and they don't have the authority to set them. For example, I don't want you to misconstrue this as an evangelistic encounter, and I don't want you to misconstrue evangelistic encounters like their debates, but this one was very civil and fully understood. It was very much a debate setting that I was knowingly entering into and was invited into, and everybody who was a, a part of it knew that it was, hey, we're going to debate this thing, all right? So that, I don't want you to misconstrue debates with evangelism, but I do want to share this with you because it applies, I think, quite directly to Proverbs 26, 4, I once 
in the verse four sense, answered the fool according to her foolishness when I should not have. I should have employed verse five, and instead I violated verse four. It was a discussion about the sanctity of human life. And she established a series of ground rules from the onset, which is interesting. You know, I mean, she wanted me to prove that human babies are human, prove that babies are alive, you know, prove that this is unethical, right? And, and she was asking me to prove things that really the burden of proof was on her, but I accepted those terms. I tacitly approved foolishness by entering willingly into this debate because I thought I could still stand up for and speak up on behalf of the unborn, even on that flawed stage. Even while her side of the stage was reinforced with steel, I'm going to knowingly step onto that trap door and enter into this debate. Now things went okay. There was one person, one person who was a part of the larger discussion who actually openly admitted to a change of heart on the matter. But ultimately the person with whom I was debating was unswayed, was unchanged. And I think it's because I didn't obey verse four in this regard. I should never have agreed to those terms. I mean, of course, of course human babies are human. What other species are they? Ostriches? Carrots? I mean, like that's foolishness, see? It's foolishness, but I agreed to it. I chose to answer the fool according to her foolishness. I let her set the ground rules that I should not have allowed because she actually had the burden of proof on her. Moreover, it, is, it, it was unethical of me to even approve those kinds of terms because if there's even a question that human lives are being ended by something, then we shut the machine down. Even a possibility that something might be ending human lives means that there's no question at all. But I answered the fool according to their foolishness. I should have employed verse five. I should have, before entering into that debate, pointed out the flawed presuppositions. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Do you see? I tacitly approved of the, of the terms that she said. I became like her when I didn't agree with her answer a fool according to his foolishness or he'll become wise in his own eyes. See, I should have employed verse five. I should have pointed out the flawed nature of these presuppositions. I should have shown, I should have shown that she actually could not account for the terms that she said. All right, it's, it's possible that she was drawing a conclusion from ontogeny re recapitulates phylogeny, but she didn't even know what that was. She was just trying to get me to prove something that was already you know, already, already understood. She was making assertions that are found nowhere in all of biology. A better way to do that is this. Think about verse five. If you point out the thin ice beneath someone's feet, this is actually the most loving thing that you could do. All right, for example, my skeptical friend, my skeptical friend, my, my, my skeptical friend has a hard time believing in the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because it's a physical impossibility, Jesse. People who are dead don't come back to life again. But that's like, that's the whole core of Christianity. And you're right. Paul even says as much in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, everything hinges on the resurrection. And we're to be pitied beyond all men if we believe a lie and there's no hope. You're right that it is physically impossible for somebody who is dead to raise again. It doesn't mean the resurrection didn't happen. It means the resurrection is miraculous in nature. 
And my skeptical friend, I have to point out something. You're standing upon foolishness while you call out wisdom. You necessarily believe in abiogenesis. That is life from non-life. You necessarily believe that once there was nothing that was alive and now everything is alive and Oprah is alive. And that's necessary. Abiogenesis is obviously impossible and it's obviously unavoidable. So while you struggle to believe in resurrection within Christianity, you necessarily as an atheist must believe in insurrection as well. So you see, there are times when you refuse to answer the fool according to his foolishness. Take him straight to the word of God instead. And then there are times when you begin with the fool's foolishness and then you take to him instead the word of God. Both of them end here. One begins with refusing to even enter that discussion. Another one takes you from the Mars Hill, right? As in the Bible Mars Hill platform, you begin with that altar that is built to an unknown God, and you bring them to the one true God. So there are times when you answer the fool according to his folly, and there are times when you refuse to answer the fool according to that folly. And in both cases, you bring people back to the authoritative source of truth in the world. So as you find your voice, you understand how you're employing it. Right now, I'm speaking to people who really don't believe the Bible at all. I'm going to invite them in and eventually let them see this is the authoritative proof, or I'm going to show them the thin ice that's beneath their feet. This is called presuppositional apologetics. All right, then there are times when you practice evidentialist apologetics, but these two are not in conflict with one another. Join us this week for our small group event. We'll talk more about this in greater detail. Consider likewise the brevity of your voice as you find it. Solomon, who wrote our Proverbs here, also writes Ecclesiastes 6, 11, which reads, For when there are many words, they increase futility. And what is the advantage for mankind? Some translations are into this where there are the more the words, the less the meaning. Look, listen. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, But what it all boils down to, eventually, where the rubber meets the road is the practical nuts and bolts, which is to say that when you really think about it, at this point in time, with all due respect, To make a long story short, it is what it is. (laughs) That's like 75 words that meant nothing. I mean, the tautology at the end, it is what it is, sometimes comes in handy. But really, I didn't say a thing. I said 75 words that meant nothing. The more the words, the less the meaning. And what is the advantage for mankind? Eradicate meaninglessness from your vocabulary. Use a speech to text doc to record yourself speaking and then go through and highlight all the words that are unnecessary for you to get your point across and then cut them all out and just speak potently. Say only what needs to be said. Eradicate meaningless from your voice because these precious and ever accumulating seconds that you're just wasting 
are wasting the breath of life in you and they're wasting the precious attention span of the person who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider choosing not to speak unless you have something meaningful to say. And the obvious alternative to this is just having fun and humor, which is good for the soul. Consider also the humility of your bold voice. Proverbs 27, two, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. All right, with your voice, lift other people up and not yourself. Because it's meaningless when you lift yourself up and it's off-putting as the opposite effect that you might think that it does. I've struggled with the sin of pride myself, so I can tell you firsthand, man, this, it stinks, it's difficult, but it also is really uplifting if you translate that into an encouraging gift for others. And you'll find that it's far more meaningful when other people are the ones who lift you up because they're objective about it. Don't waste your voice praising yourself. Lift up others, edify fellow believers, and praise God with your voice. Use it boldly to share the gospel with those who need to hear the news. Proverbs 19.5 brings us to the honesty of your bold voice. A false witness will not go unpunished and one who utters lies will not escape. Now watch, 19.9 escalates it. A false witness will not go unpunished and one who utters lies perishes. That's consistent with what we see, right? In Romans 6.23, that the wages of our sin is death. All sin ultimately when it's full grown leads to death. Proverbs 24, 23 through 25. These sayings also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, peoples will curse him and nations will denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and a generous blessing will come to them. Like we're gonna see when we get to the book of Isaiah. Woe to those of us who call evil good and good evil. If you call the innocent guilty, if you call the guilty innocent, you have wasted your voice and you will be denounced by this. You'll be cursed by this. If you're gonna find your voice, that is to speak with absolute and total brutal honesty, fact-checking yourself, using proper discernment. You know that if you bear false witness, you will not go unpunished. And you know that if you utter lies, you ultimately perish. A false witness will not go unpunished and one who utters lies will not escape. So save your voice for what you know for certain to be the objective truth. Consider likewise the consequences of cowardice. It's time to be bold as a lion. Proverbs 24, 10. If you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Rescue those being taken off to death. Save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs the heart consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? We will answer to the Lord for not speaking. He knows that we know. He placed us here for a time such as this. You have the gospel, you know the word. So be bold as a lion and find your voice, Christian. I know that it's intimidating. I know that it's more comfy in the foxhole. And I know that you can see other Christians taking heat for believing what you believe. But if you step forward, the Lord is gonna use it to save people who are far from him. It's gonna speak through you as you speak the words of God to those who are far from him. You already know the scriptures. 
You know exactly how to share the gospel with somebody. I've shown you this over and over again for two years, member of Highlands. It's time to speak up. But I know that that can be scary. One of our favorite places to go when I was a kid was cold water horse trails. And it was in Blackwater State Forest, North Florida. We would bring all of our horses, everybody in my family and extended family had horses, and we would bring them all and they would put them all in the stalls, cold water horse trails. And then we would stay in the campgrounds and go hunting with my grandfather. And my favorite thing to do was to swim in the icy big cold water creek. And I can see some parallels between getting in that creek and a Christian speaking up with a bold voice for the first time. You know, it was like a hundred degrees outside and it's oppressive and you were wearing Wranglers because you're riding a horse and you're just dying to get in that icy water. So you feel compelled by the heat that drives you closer to the water, but then you get there and your toes touch the water and it just feels like ice. And you can imagine that sense of shock running up to your heart and over your head. And that's, in that's intimidating. Moreover, your cousin Chad, you know, like your cousin Chad, right? Doesn't everybody have a cousin named Chad? I do. Hey, Chad, I love you. Your cousin Chad is getting in the water and he's like hooping hollering as he gets in. And that intimidates you because as a Christian, you see these other Christians and they're, they're taking scrutiny for believing what you believe. And so you kind of go closeted with it, but you also feel this heat. You can't stay on the sideline. You can't stay silent anymore. And here's what, here's what happens as you, as you do step in to that icy water, that deep caramel swift current can be intimidating, but it is exhilarating. And so it's time, Christian, it's time. You and Chad just jump in deep, right into the heart of God's current. And what you will find is that you are not alone. Chad's there with you. There are other Christians there with you. You are surrounded by silent Christians who are gonna be emboldened by your willingness to speak up the gospel, to come out as a Christian, to defy the current narrative that defies God, and instead to speak hope and repentance and to speak out not about your own virtue, but about the perfect virtue of a holy God who offers grace to sinners like ourselves. And you're gonna find that other Christians are gonna come in. They, they too, likewise, they're sick of the heat. They're tired of the sidelines. They're gonna come out and they're gonna jump in. So Christian, would you come into the water? You're not gonna be alone. And what you're gonna find is that the water is good. So come out, Christian, let your voice be heard. The righteous are as bold as a lion. And today is the day that you speak up. Today is the day that you let your voice at last be heard heard. Today is the day that you fulfill the purpose of the trip at all. Today is the day that you jump into the heart of God's current. Would you come on in? The water is fine. I know what it's like to be intimidated about coming out online as a Christian, speaking up in given settings. As, as when I was a drummer, I was like the token Christian everywhere. I know, I know that can be intimidating. And for some of you, you even might bear some professional consequences if people associate you with the truth of Christianity, but would you hold fast to your heart the teaching Psalm 118 verse six echoed in Hebrews 13, what can man do to me? Because you and I are sinners who have been reconciled to a holy God because you can look God in the face, you need not fear any sinful man. Consider the generation across the millennia of faithful believers who have stepped into the furnace and God has been in the furnace with them. He never will leave you. He will never forsake you. And he promised us this before ascending to heaven that he would be with us 
always, even to the very end of the age. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone, Christian. Find your voice and let the gospel ring out. The righteous are as bold as a lion. And so whether you have been getting discouraged, tired of the arrows in front and in back from your fellow believers, would you be bold once more? Be bold as a lion. Let the truth ring forth. Consider the consequences of not speaking out. And if you've been in your foxhole the whole time, today's the day. Today's the day. Christian, that you're going to come out. You're going to speak out. You're going to let the gospel ring forth. You're going to come out of your bunker already. Step into the light. Let the gospel shine through you and watch the people in your life who need Jesus at last find salvation. It's not going to be found in anybody else. It's only in Jesus and you know him. So you speak up and speak boldly. The righteous are as bold as a lion. So roar to the glory of God. Let the gospel ring out and back it up with a testimony of integrity. Now, my skeptical friend, if you wish so badly to be able to speak with that kind of authority, not your own authority, but the authority of God, today's the day, today's the day that you roar for the first time. The righteous are as bold as a lion, and your righteousness comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You cannot boast about this. It comes exclusively from Him. If the Lord has driven you to your knees and conviction for your sin and you desire so desperately to have the integrity to be able to speak with authority to be able to speak fearlessly then today's the day you pray with me John 3 16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. You're going to pray Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and John 14.6 and Romans 10.9. Give your life to Jesus and then at last roar like a lion because your righteousness comes from Jesus. Would you pray with me right now as the Holy Spirit of God is drawn upon your heart and Christian, Christian who's been hiding in the foxhole or Christian who's just being weighed down and weary, would you pray to God? Would you go before him and ask him to give you boldness as you speak out? And would you use the comment section of this video to make your gospel testimony known? Let's start here, because if you can't do it here, you won't do it out there. Let's go before God together and let's pray right now. God, I have been a skeptic my whole life, or I've been wounded by the church. I've been gone a long time. I've never really thought about this stuff. I was brought up in a different faith. God, I believe in you. I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. God, I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God, I confess that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way I can come to God the Father except through Jesus. So right here and now, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Would you say Jesus is Lord out loud right now? Just say it. Jesus is Lord. And type it in the comments too. Be bold as a lion. Jesus is Lord. God, I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. Now let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved in Jesus' name. Amen.